Welcome to the Birth Debrief, a safe place where women and families are invited to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journeys. The Birth Debrief centers experiences that may be difficult for others to hear. We are lifting the lid on topics that aren't often spoken about. Loss, infertility, obstetric violence, birth trauma, discrimination, and so much more. If you are processing any trauma or pain from your parenting and birth experiences, please consider whether listening to these stories may be right for you at this moment in time. I'm in the process of developing a webpage where families can go to connect with services suited to helping them in processing their experiences. But in the meantime, if you aren't getting the support you need, please reach out to me and I will do my best to help you in any way that I can. Welcome to episode two. I just want to pass on my thanks and appreciation to every single one of you who went out of your way to listen to my first episode of The Birth Debrief. If you follow me on Instagram on my business page, you would know full well by now my intentions for this podcast. I really wanted to put my story out there as the first episode, just as a stepping stone to let everyone know my background and where I come from and why I'm doing this, but also just to share a little bit about myself. I feel that I expect the people who come on this podcast to go to such a vulnerable and sensitive place. I would never have been able to request that or expect that of anyone else without being willing to go there myself. So that is why I put my story out there and I am just so humbled to hear all of your feedback and to see that my story has been resonating with so many people. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on with me today. I'm so excited to be able to chat to you. I know it's been, we've had to reschedule a couple of times due to both crazy schedules and births interfering with my podcasting schedule. (laughs) Um, So would you mind taking a minute to introduce yourself and your family and just give us a little bit of a brief background of where you're at now in your life and yeah, just what, whatever you'd like to tell us about yourself. No worries. So my name's Cheyenne and um, my partner Matt and I have a one-year-old son called Sullivan. Um, yeah, I'm at uni studying to be a nurse and yeah, we just, that's about it <laughs> for us. How did you come to studying nursing? nursing? Did that happen before the birth of your son or after or is that something that you've always known that you wanted to do? Um, I mean, not really. It sort of came to me a bit later in life, um, but I, it was before I had um, had Sully. So, yeah, I did my first year um, and then, like, took a break to have Sully. Um, but I was a carer before that and, um, yeah, I just really loved it. I just thought it was, you know, just a really, like, fulfilling job. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's why I yeah, decided to do it and make a career out of it. I have such respect for anyone who willingly enters into the medical space as a career because, believe it or not, I have such a weak stomach. <laughs> like, I, I'm I, <laughs> I'm totally fine photographing a birth and getting all up in there and, like, you know, handling the placenta and doing all of that sort of stuff. But 
my daughter hit her head on the couch last night and split her lip and it was like the tiniest bit of blood and I swear I was gagging I'm just like oh, I can't I, I don't <laughs> I feel like that's when you're when it's your kid's blood it's totally different like in a emergency situation when Sully I'm so awful. true <laughs> like not composed but like yeah when I'm on prac and stuff like that's totally different you just have like you put your work your work shirt on and you're like oh I can handle this <laughs> that's so true it's so true that's probably why I'm okay in the birth space actually <laughs> so um let's have a chat about how you came to falling pregnant and what your experience about uh, in the birth space was before then did you know did you know what sort of birth you wanted to have or had you like me just been completely inexperienced with anything like that and never held a baby before in your life (laughs) um well I used to nanny so I've definitely held babies before and I felt pretty comfortable like with children so the like thought of planning a family was like exciting for me and I was really yeah Matt and I were just like ready we're really excited um it happened a lot sooner than we were like thought it would we thought we started trying like we were really lucky in that sense but yeah we started trying and it happened on the first month and we were very taken aback like a bit shocked so um yeah I mean we planned and yeah it just sort of like hit us in the face even though we were planning it you can never be ready though right I mean they just babies just come when they want to come (laughs) exactly like yeah so I mean I didn't really have an idea of what birth I wanted I just I knew what just I just wanted it to be a nice experience um yeah and yeah I was kind of like a bit like whatever happens happens um and I did have a lot of I mean further into my pregnancy I had a lot my anxiety kind of grew over my pregnancy about my birth um in the beginning I was just like you know what it's fine like I'll just take it as it comes but yeah sort of like as I went on and on I started to sort of get more nervous and more scared about it right are you a typically anxious person as it is do you think yeah I'm definitely like a worrier by nature I like to I like to have things in place so that I don't worry you know like I like to have control over things and I think the thought of not being in control of what was happening in my birth like just sort of surrendering to it really scared me yeah um so I think yeah that's sort of where my fear stemmed from was just like not being able to be in control um when those anxieties and issues came up for you in your pregnancy did you read anything about how about birth and like try to prepare yourself did you do any birth education courses or or anything like that to kind of alleviate the anxiety you were having around that no I sort of had the complete opposite I thought if I buried my head in the sand about it (laughs) it wasn't like you know I was just like I don't want to read into it too much because I don't want to scare myself I mean naturally I'm a researcher especially with like medical things like if something yeah you know comes up I I always want to research I guess that's like part of like why I'm doing nursing and stuff but yeah with birth I just it was completely different to the way I usually handle things yeah I think that's quite normal like there's uh, there's one of two reactions that you can have if you're worried about something and it's either what I said like you either just want to go and inform yourself and know all of your options and choices or what you did and, and just kind of pretend that it's not happening and deal with it when you absolutely have to deal with it and not a moment before Yeah. And I think it was that control thing. You know, if I knew all the different avenues that my birth could go down, I was like, yeah, felt more out of control for me. And I, yeah, Yeah. I just kind of didn't want to know how things could go because there's so many different ways that a birth can go. And that was, yeah, that sort of scared me in that terms of like not being in control. Yeah, definitely. So you were saying that you, um, you ended up 
uh, choosing to go in the public system, just your local hospital? Yeah, so we didn't have private health cover at the time. Um, And, yeah, I just thought, yeah, the local hospital, um, GP, we did GP shared care um, up until about 20 weeks. And How did you find that, the GP shared care? um, I mean, it was all right. I just, I, they just, GPs just don't know enough about um, pregnancy. And yeah, I mean, I had hyphemesis in the beginning oh. as well. So I was really sick. And I think I just, I would go in there and they're like, oh, this is normal, you know. And I'm just, I was, I remember I got to a point where I went in there and I was like so dehydrated and I hadn't been able to keep anything down. I just felt really awful. Oh my goodness. And I just sat there and cried. Oh. And then she finally was like, okay, like maybe it's not normal morning sickness, like maybe it's a bit more. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it took a while for them to sort of like listen to me in the in the GP and I think that's just because, yeah, lack of knowledge about totally about pregnancy and birth, yeah. Was that a GP that, um, that you already had a relationship with? Like had you seen them regularly? Was it like a family GP that you were close with or just like just your local GP? Um, so I had a, I had a GP um, but she was sort of, I think she was traveling between two places. So she was kind of there sometimes and not there other times. So occasionally I would see her and she was really good. Yeah. But um, yeah, when I was sort of in the thick of my morning sickness, she was away. So I was seeing a few different GPs at that same clinic, just whoever I could get an appointment with. Yeah. So that was a bit tricky yeah. in that sense. Like every time you see a different person and they're kind of like, oh, you're back again on I can see on the notes but they haven't really seen me before so and you get like five minutes <laughs> you know and you feel like you have to like retell them your whole life story every time you go in yeah definitely yeah Aww. I mean and that continued on in the public in the in the um public hospital that I went to as well because there was no continuity of care with the midwives it was just whoever you got yeah was the person that you saw that day so I think it sort of carried through my entire pregnancy that yeah retelling my story over and over again and how frustrating yeah Yeah, it was very frustrating so with GP shared care does it get to a certain point in your pregnancy where you then start to do your appointments at the hospital I'm I'm not quite across exactly how it works throughout the um, duration of your pregnancy so I think it's up until about 17 weeks um then you get referred to the hospital and then you think you're at 20 weeks you have your first appointment so it's like halfway halfway through your pregnancy. That's such a long time. I remember when I first fell pregnant and it was an unexpected pregnancy and my GP was like, so you book into a hospital at 20 weeks. And I'm like, 20 weeks, like what the hell am I supposed to do until then? Like I, what? and he's like, the baby just grows. And I'm like, I need more information than that. Like that's not enough for me. Like 20 weeks is a long way away. Like I, I need, I need to see someone before then. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I felt that definitely. Like I, yeah, I think that was yeah I it wor- I just made my anxieties a lot worse as well because yeah. like you kept you're talking to someone for the whole first 20 weeks of someone who's not specializing in yeah. babies or pregnancy or birth or anything and then yeah, yeah and then finally get to talk to them <laughs> you kind of feel like you need to save up all your questions for 20 weeks like that's crazy <laughs> such a long time like yeah wow okay so um yeah, how how long did your HG last for? Did you have it for a couple of weeks or for the majority? Yeah, so it was until about, I mean, I started to feel better almost exactly at 12 weeks. So it was kind of just in the beginning. But I sort of was very nauseous up until, yeah, about 16 or 17. Yeah. Still, I mean, the vomiting stopped at about 12 weeks. But, yeah, still didn't feel 
my best until about halfway through I started to feel better. I'm sure that wasn't doing you any favours with your anxiety as well. No, not at all. And I was also at university still. So, oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah, it was a lot. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was very happy when it ended. I, I, know, I know some people get it the entire way through their pregnancy and that would have just been, yeah, really awful. Yeah. So I was really happy when it started to wear off. I just, yeah, felt a lot better in my second, like, in that second part of my pregnancy. Yeah, definitely. So how did you feel when you started to do appointments at the hospital? Um, did you did your anxiousness start to subside or increase or how did you feel entering into the system? Um, I mean, a little bit in the sense that I got to actually speak to someone who, you know, does this for the, their job full time and they're really, um, you know, knowledgeable about all of that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, getting to just have scans and be sort of like I felt more connected I think once I started seeing them yeah um but it was the same sort of thing so no continuity of care I saw a different midwife every single time and yeah every time they ask you the same questions and it's written in that little book and you just think Mm. if you just read the book before I came in you know like yeah it it really makes you feel like you're just a number right yeah totally um so yeah I think that was really like missing in my care Mm. I just really I mean a few hospitals um in Perth where I live do the continuity of care but the my local hospital doesn't do that yet I just think it should just be across everything because it's so important yeah but yeah I mean that was probably the thing that I struggled with after getting referred to the hospital was yeah just a different midwife every time yeah and did did you feel comfortable enough to share with the the staff at the hospital how you were feeling about the birth, like about your anxiousness and stuff, mm-hmm. or did you kind of keep that to yourself? I definitely kept it to myself. I think, it, again, like I didn't really know that every time I got a different person, so you don't feel comfortable totally. divulging that and saying, you know, like I'm like I'm so scared. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they'd go, oh, do you have a birth plan? And I kind of just said, oh, no, like, you know, I just avoided the question always. I just, you know. And they're, oh, what do you what do you think about like pain relief? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll just just see how I go when I get there, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, and they yeah just tick you off and then you leave. So I didn't really have, I didn't feel comfortable in that space to share that I was really anxious about it. Yeah, I think that that's um, one of the many benefits that you get when you when you do get true and quality continuity of care is that once you are able to form that relationship with somebody, then you do feel more comfortable being vulnerable with them. And then in turn, you get better care because when you're more open and honest and tell them what your fears and worries are and what your actual preferences are without fear of being judged, then you know that the care you're going to get is going to be suited to what you need and tailored to what you need. Definitely. Yeah, that's so, so true. So spot on. And I think also if it was the same person, they maybe could have picked up that I was feeling a bit anxious. Whereas when they're so busy and you only get that one, that little window and it's a different person each time, they don't really have enough time to sort of sense that that's what's happening for me. And maybe that's why I was avoiding writing a birth plan and I was avoiding talking about the labor and all that sort of thing. So yeah, if I had, yeah, someone the whole way through, they definitely would have picked up on that earlier. Yeah. So do you think looking back on it now that you kind of fell through the cracks in that regard, in that your um your worries and that um that you kind of got missed? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I think you just kind of get swept along with it and um you just 
it's sort of funny. They like tell you to go here and they tell you to go and wait there and they tell you to go and do this urine sample and you just you just do it. You go in there and you're like a little bit of a robot. Totally. You just you do what they tell you to do and then you sit in that room and you wait and then yeah, I just kind of felt like a bit of a number. Yeah. Yeah. So how what happened after then? Did um yeah, tell me a little bit more about how your pregnancy unfolded and then we'll um lead into your birth a little bit. Yeah, so um, I had a really normal pregnancy. I didn't have any issues. I was measuring really normal the whole way through. Everyone just, every appointment, they were just like, oh, everything's normal, you know, normal, normal, normal. Um, and, yeah, I just I had a fine pregnancy. I got pretty uncomfortable toward the end. Um, I was very, like, um, holding a lot of fluid toward the end and I started to just feel really like massive and uncomfortable um towards the very end and I don't know I just had this feeling that I was going to go over I think because it was like my first pregnancy um and I think that was also stemming from a bit of my anxiety as well was just I think a lot of emphasis gets put on a due date yeah um and I definitely put a lot of emphasis on my due date because I was pretty over being pregnant toward the end so I was kind of just like oh no I need this many more days or this many more weeks and um yeah I think I definitely put a bit too much emphasis on my, my due date because it really is just an estimate so. yeah totally uh, but I feel like the system like the medical system doesn't really do a lot to help that either because not once at any of my appointments in any of my pregnancies was I prepared for the fact that I might go over you know they're always just like okay they put so much emphasis on your due date and to the point where they ask you when you're due and at some stage I had been given three separate dates and they were like I was like well it doesn't really matter does it the baby comes when it comes and like no we need to know your due date I'm like well (laughs) you know it's hard not to get stuck in that mind frame when every appointment you go to that's just part of what they're focusing on you know yeah and I think toward the end I had a midwife who was like oh you know baby can come from 37 weeks and I then I sort of had in my head okay like from 37 weeks you know so if you go from 37 to 42 you know if you're like that's a long time <laughs> to be wanting like willing and waiting for it to come so yeah yeah 100% <clears throat> okay so um when did you start to go into labor how far along were you Okay, so um, I had my 40-week appointment. My due date came and went (laughs) and I had my 40-week appointment. Um, So that was the first time ever that I'd seen an obstetrician. Um, And, yeah, so I had my appointment with um, him and he kind of just said, um, oh, like everything's travelling fine. Um, Do you want a stretch and sweep like we normally offer them at 40 weeks? Did you know what that was? I I knew kind of what it was like I didn't really understand the like logistics of it or, yeah and I definitely didn't yeah I, I didn't realize it was an intervention because I didn't you know no one really said anything it was just kind of like oh this is what we do do you want one yeah um and I think because I was at that point just so desperate to get this baby out of me that I, yeah, I just said yeah why not like go for it so um I had a stretch and sweep on my 40-week appointment yeah um and yeah, I'm, I started after I had got quite crampy after my 40 week appointment, I went home and, um, yeah, I, I got really crampy. I lost my mucus plug later that night, I think, or maybe the next morning. Um, 
And yeah, I, it was kind of scary because there was a lot of blood, which I wasn't warned about with the stretch and sweep. You weren't prepared for it. No, I think when you see like fresh blood, when you're like, you know, I got really nervous. So, I mean, obviously being anxious already and then seeing that kind of just like heightened my anxiety a lot. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So after that, I'm just looking at my notes. So I had from then on over the next few days, I had, I think it's called spurious labor or, um, yeah, that's what they called it in my notes anyway. So it's, um, I started getting contractions that were really strong and really regular at nighttime. And they were like five minutes apart, lasting a minute, very, very painful while they were happening. Um, and they would go all night and then in the morning they would stop <laughs> completely. Like it was almost as soon as the sun came up, they would just stop. Um, so that went on for a few days. Um, and obviously like I didn't sleep in that time because um, Matt and I were up timing the contractions. You know, he was helping me through them, breathe through them. And obviously you can't sleep. Like when they're five minutes apart, when are you going to get any sleep? Oh, and I'm sure you that wouldn't have done you any good if you're already feeling worried. <laughs> exactly. And I think I kept calling the hospital and just being like, oh, like I'm in labour. And they kept just being like, it's normal, stay home. Like I can talk to you on the phone, so you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went into, um, we call it MAFAL, which is just like the maternal fetal monitoring like monitoring unit um a few times just because I'd called up and been like oh I'm in labor like help me and they kind of were like okay come in like we'll check you um so yeah a few times I went in I think I was really just looking for someone to be like give me support really and I think uh, like I didn't get that in the those early days when I was going through that through those contractions because it felt really real like it felt like proper labor I was in a lot of pain I just yeah I was really nervous and And how how are you supposed to know anyway like it's your first baby you know exactly and like that's I you know that and a lot of the things like we read online were if your um, contractions are five minute apart last in one minute like that's when you go to the hospital kind of thing I think we were kind of like every time they would come we'd be like oh my god let's go to the hospital kind of thing I think Matt and I kind of felt a bit safer at the hospital than at home. Like we just weren't comfortable at home. We were like scared. I mean, he was as well. Like he didn't know what was going on. He could just see that I was in pain. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, and then every morning when they would stop, it was just like really upsetting because I thought we were getting somewhere, and then they would just die off completely. So disheartening. Yeah, so those like a few days, I think it went on for about three days. Oh, man. Yeah, and three nights. So it was really full on and I kept going into the hospital and they would put me on the monitors and, you know, that everything's okay kind of thing and they'd give me like a an exam and, oh, you're only one centimetre, only two centimetres, like just go home, just go home. So, yeah, we went in on I think it was the fourth night of – yeah, it was the fourth night of me having these like really strong contractions. Um, and Matt just sort of said to them, like, we're not going home. She's like, she's not coping. Like I was a mess. I was crying all the time because I was just exhausted by then, like four nights of no sleep. Um, so we went into the hospital and I called them and I was just like, I need to come in. So they said, yeah, no worries. I come in. I went in. Um, and the midwife we got that time was actually just really lovely um, compared to all the other ones that we'd had. 
and she checked me and said, you know, you're three centimetres, like, I think I was three. Um, and she was like, I don't think this is fair, you know, like this isn't, you know, you're obviously not yeah. coping. So um, I think you should come back in the morning, like go home, come back in the morning and we'll talk to the doctors about what to do, like where to go from yeah. here. So um, we went, we were walking back to the car actually from that. So they said come back at 8 o'clock in the morning. It was about 4 a.m. So we're walking back to the car um, and my water's broke. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I, I said, to, standing at the door, I said, we got to just got to the car and I said to Matt, oh, I think I weed my pants. Oh. <laughs> and he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, oh. And he was like, maybe it's your waters. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe it is. I just didn't even think. I was like, oh, no, I've weighed myself. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so we actually called them because we didn't want to walk all the way up there in case. And she just said, oh, like, come back up. So we walked all the way back up, which was ages from the car park to the hospital. Oh, my God. Um, and she was like, put this little sensor pad on. So I put the pad on and walked up and down the hallway a little bit. And, um, she was like, yeah, it's your waters. Still go home and come back oh my at God. eight. <laughs> so, um, I know cause when we thought it was waters, I was like, great. They can't send me home now, you know, cause I, I didn't think that they were allowed to do that. But anyway, they sent us home. So I sat on a, like on a bluey on the way home <laughs> cause I was still waking out. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I didn't obviously get any sleep. They were like, try and get some rest, but like, that doesn't happen. I know. <laughs> so. It's such a silly thing to say, right? I'm, and, and it's probably the best thing for you to do, but it's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I just couldn't. So were you still contracting at that point after your waters broke when you went home? Yeah. So, I, I mean, they kind of were not consistent, but uh, once I got home, yeah, they sort of became a bit more consistent. And then we went back at eight o'clock in the morning um, and we waited around for a little while, obviously, because the doctors are just never on time. Yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this was this was my, like, fourth or fifth day of the contractions being really sus- five days past my due date. And, um, yeah, just five days of having this crampy contractions and just being exhausted pretty much. Yeah. What was your mental state at that point? How are you? How are you feeling not good, obviously, like no sleep. Um, Matt was also feeling the same. We were just feeling really drained, the both of us, just emotionally and physically. And like a, a few times I sort of said to Matt, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, you know, like got, I've four nights of no sleep and now I've got to give birth to a baby and then I've got to look after a baby afterwards. Yeah, the doubt starts to creep in. Definitely I felt really defeated and, yeah, it was it was really tough. Um, just not knowing and yeah and not really getting any support from anyone as yeah. well um so yeah on that fifth day was yeah we we're waiting to speak to the doctor and um the doctor came in and they gave me a scan and um this is the obstetrician who actually ended up um birthing Sully she came in and said oh you're like you're only three centimeters um but you know, you, you're, so my hind waters had broken, but there was still waters um, between Sully's head and me. Um, so I was like leaking, my waters were leaking out slowly. It wasn't like the big gush or anything. So they said, um, they did a scan and she was like, oh, posterior. Um, so that probably was why I was having the stop start because his head wasn't putting like enough pressure on my cervix to sort of you know, make it, make the contractions um, actually doing 
a did lot. you know what that meant when she said that or did she explain it to you um I didn't actually know what she said like at, at the start I was like oh what do you mean and she was like oh he's the wrong way around I was like oh breach and she was like no um <clears throat> sorry she was like no um like just facing the wrong way yeah. um and when she was doing the scan she was like oh like quite a big baby as well and that was the first time we'd heard that it was a big baby. <laughs> I just, no one had ever said anything to me. I was measuring fine, like all my fundal height or whatever was really normal. Um, but, yeah, she was like, oh, quite a big baby. And I remember this, that's what you want to hear when you're going in to have your first baby and you're like already freaked out. Oh. Exactly. And I remember her words like so she said, this probably won't work, but it's hospital policy that we induce you first. Mm. So, I mean, that kind of just started. I remember looking at Matt just being like, what? Yeah. Like, what? That really? Like, it's not going to work and they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So, doesn't that, it just sums everything up, I think. That sums up our maternal hospitals. That's our system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think so. I was already not feeling confident in myself. And then to have someone who's like, you know, knows the most about what I thought knew the most about childbirth and stuff to say, oh, that probably won't work, but we'll do it anyway. It just felt really cruel, you know, and I thought, oh, it's, it's not really fair that they're saying that to me. But I didn't really have any, like, um, confidence and I wasn't like, yeah, I can do this. Did they you know? explain to you, so she was talking about inducing you and is that what she was referring to when she said it wouldn't wasn't going to work? Yes. You were already contracting and your waters had broken. Like I, I can't yeah. see why they would have wanted to induce you to speed things up even more or? Yeah, so they said we'll break your waters, like break the, the waters that were in front of um, okay. like his head and then, yeah, we'll induce you put you on the drip I mean thinking back now I think probably just breaking the waters would have been enough um but I didn't really know I wasn't informed about induction it just didn't ever occur to me throughout my pregnancy that that might happen yeah um I mean I had a friend who had been induced twice with her children and like had totally fine births so I think that was always at the back of my mind you know like if she can do it I can do it a little bit but yeah I just I mean I didn't really know anything about it and it wasn't an informed choice that Matt and I made. We were just happy that someone was finally going to help us, you know, like we kind of finally felt like, oh, my gosh, they're going to do something. Like Exactly, yeah, I think, I mean, from that moment on, we just kind of, Matt said to me the other night, he was like, we just got swept away, like we just got swept along with whatever they wanted to do. And, um, yeah, I think from then on it was just like a cascade of intervention. Oh. Um, so yeah, so we got, um, we got taken through to the birth suite, uh, at about 12 o'clock and they, um, started my, they broke my waters and then they started me on the drip and I just, it was like absolutely excruciating. Um, it was really, really bad and not anything like I was expecting, I think, because I went from sort of like contracting, you know, um, not very like like a bit sporadically to then contracting a lot um really quickly and he was obviously posterior as well so all the pain was in my back that's the worst um I was yes I was laying on my back as well on the bed and they sort of had me all monitored up you know I was just connected in like every single way to the bed and um 
they started it and I remember as soon as they sort of started the drip, it started and I was sort of like writhing around on the bed, you know, like really uncomfortable and I said to the midwife like, actually before we went in I, I asked for an epidural because she said induction and I just sort of freaked out and I was like, oh, I want an epi, like I don't want to do this kind of thing and she was like, yeah, yeah, and sort of like brushed me off. Um, and then, yeah, they started the drip. And then as soon as I started feeling the pain, I just thought, oh my God, I can't do this. You know, like this is, this is bad. Um, I think my anxiety just really got the better of me and it sort of controlled me and the pain and everything just felt too much. At any point did they tell you, like they knew that your baby was posterior and I'm sure many midwives know that um positioning can really help with the pain for women who are um who have a posterior baby in labor did they like confining you to the bed could have been the worst possible thing for you at that time for pain management because if you had been up or on on all fours or moving around it would have relieved your pain quite a lot did any of them was it kind of expected that you would stay on the bed or you just didn't feel comfortable getting up and moving did they give you any advice on on changing positions or anything like that not at all um I didn't even realize that changing positions could move the baby like I didn't I just wasn't informed about that and I even said to them as soon as the pain started I said oh I need to stand up and she said oh um do you want a heat pack oh my god and I just looked at her being like oh my god are you fucking serious (laughs) like (laughs) a heat pack like yeah like no I don't want a heat pack like I want to stand up Um, oh that's your body telling you that you know that it would be able to better deal with the pain and what was going on in a a different position you know and they should know that like they should all know like I'm not a midwife and I know that yeah, so we, I, I ended up, she was like, oh, no, and I just was like, I need to stand up. Like it was probably the first time I'd actually stood up for myself in the whole process. <laughs> and um, she said, oh, okay, like, and they kind of fussed about because they wanted to keep the monitor on, but then standing up was a bit tricky because I was connected to the thing. Now you're an inconvenience. Yeah, and, like, lucky I had a, um, oh, I didn't actually mention this earlier, but I had a student midwife because um, I sort of wanted a student midwife because I didn't have that continuity of care and she came to me in my last with me to my last appointments and she was there at the birth so it did kind of feel like a little bit like I had someone with me the whole way through um but obviously she's a student so it's it's totally different but yeah she was like she was really great um and when I stood up she said oh don't worry like I'll monitor her with the handheld one while she's standing so um she was actually quite good in the fact that they like let me stand up because she was like oh help I'll help you know because there was two midwives in there already and then she helped out. It's so frustrating that they don't really treat that as a real option anymore you know if they can't rely on the on the belted monitors and it's kind of like they're like oh well what do we do now like there are other options you know. Yeah exactly and that's not communicated to you at at that moment you know I remember I had monitors on me and it was the worst thing ever because they're like you have to stay on the bed I'm like I had back labor as well my baby was posterior and it was the most excruciating pain being on my back that at that point. Yeah and I mean I didn't even realize that monitoring was it like something that I could say no to. Yeah well they don't they don't tell you. No, and I didn't know that I could have like, you know, um, intermittent monitoring and that it was almost as effective as having a monitor the whole way. So I just, it was just things that weren't vocalized to me. And obviously, because I'd sort of buried my head in the sand about, you know, all my different options and all that sort of stuff, I hadn't really informed myself. 
Um, so I couldn't really say like, oh, I want this or I want that because I just didn't know. Um, so I think it takes a certain personality type to go in when you're having your first baby and you don't feel comfortable there already because you don't know who's there. Like you have no idea what's going on. It takes a certain strong type of person to be able to stand up and go, you know what? No, I don't want that. I want to do this. You know, yeah, they exactly. don't really make the environment conducive to you being able to stand up and use your voice and express your wishes. Not at all. And I'm actually quite a, I mean, I'm quite a vocal person. Like if I don't agree with something, I'll tell people like I'm pretty, that's sort of the person that I am. So I kind of thought that I would be like that in the birth space, but I was totally opposite, you know, like it just, it's different. It's really crazy how it can sort of change how you normally are. When you're in that, you feel very out of your depth in that situation. So and you're in a vulnerable position, like the most vulnerable position you may ever be in. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so I ended up standing up um, and I laboured for about 45 minutes, I think, on the edge of the bed. Um, And I just, I was really struggling to breathe through the contractions and they weren't letting up. Like I don't, I mean, being induced, I think you don't get that decent break between your contractions. It just felt constant. And I think that's also a posterior birth thing along with, um, the induction yeah so yeah there was no real break for that 45 minutes it wasn't like when I was laboring at home and I had the contraction and then it would go away and I had sort of a breather and I'd you know come back to the room and center myself a bit it was just very very constant yeah um, and I sort of remember laying over the bed and just like being like oh my god like what is happening to my body <laughs> and I looked at Matt just being like oh my god like I can't do this and um I said to them, like, how long do I have to do this without an epidural? Because I'd asked for the epi before and she'd sort of like brushed me off. So I thought there was like maybe a time frame that I wasn't allowed to have the epidural. Um, And I I said to her, like, how long do I have to do this? And she's like, oh, you you don't have to do this without an epidural if you don't want to. Like, you can have one if you want. And I just said, like, get it (laughs) now. Like, I I need it. Um, So, yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, so the epidural came quite quickly. The guy came in, um, the, and I can't say that word, anesthesiologist, is that right? Um, yep, I can't say it either. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard word to say. Um, so he came in and um, quite quickly actually, which I was really happy about. Um, and, yeah, it took him four goes to get it in the right spot, so that was a bit oh. much. But. I would have let him do it a million times really at that point. I was just really in so much pain and really, really struggling. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, just the no sleep before and then just everything that had happened, I was just really defeated and just didn't feel like I could overcome the pain without it. Um, so I had the epidural and, um, yeah, it's almost like within instantly I started to um, feel no pain sort of thing. And I laid up on the bed and I just went to sleep for the first time, obviously in like five days or whatever. Oh, that would have um, been a welcome break for you. Yeah, it was. It was just really good. I just, yeah, I just napped because I was absolutely exhausted. Um, and, yeah, I just, I just needed that. I couldn't, I don't, I couldn't have imagined going on for as long as my labour did go on without it. Yeah. So my first lot of, so that was at 12 o'clock and then um, my first lot of fetal bradycardia, so when his heart rate started to, um, I think it's in, no, decrease, 
was at about 4 p.m. and they're just on a VE house, um, four centimetres. Yeah. Um, they're really struggling to find like the sweet spot with my drip. So they were turning it up and turning it down a lot because they would turn it up and I would contract a lot and then they would turn it down and I would contract nothing. So they were really struggling with that. I mean, I actually have my birth notes and I, the amount that they changed my drip is like a lot. It happened a lot. Right. Um, so yeah, I, um, I had a lot of, um, VEs as well. I think, um, I didn't also realize that that's sort of in a way an intervention, like them sort of, you know, entering that space, especially once his waters had broken, I sort of didn't really realize that, that, you know, could put either of us at risk or I just wasn't educated on that sort of thing. So when they were like, can we do a VE? I was like, yeah, sure. Well, you know, go for it. Um, so obviously I had my, um, I had a catheter in cause I had the epidural and at about 5 PM I started to have like a decrease in my urine output Yeah, yeah. and they kind of noted it, but didn't really say anything. Um, and yeah, so that will make sense a bit later down the track, but I just thought I'd say that now. Um, and then at 6 30, I was six centimeters. So I was progressing quite well. I thought anyway, <laughs> um, and then at about 6.45, his, um, Sully's heart rate started to drop again and it wasn't coming back up. Um, and I was contracting a lot at this point. So they turned the drip down and they brought in um, one of the obstetricians or whatever and they said, oh, we just want to test the baby's um, blood, like we want to cut the baby's little, take a blood sample from the baby's head um, to test for lactate in his right. blood um so obviously I'd never heard of that before it sounded a bit scary they were saying they were going to like cut my baby but yeah. um they were like oh we need to do this to see if he's stressed or not um and I just was like okay like I didn't really feel comfortable about it but I just thought you know it's for his it's for him to make sure he's okay so why not yeah. um so they did that. They put the speculum thing in and they could see his head. Um, and, I mean, that was a kind of nice moment for Matt because they said, oh, do you want to have a look? And he had a look and he was like, oh, my God, like it's actually a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was really sweet. I mean, in like all of the awfulness of all that, that was going on, like that was actually quite nice. But so they took the sample and he was fine. Like there was nothing wrong with him. He wasn't stressed out or anything. His lactates weren't high or anything. Okay. And, so, I mean, I kind of felt like maybe that was didn't need to happen. Yeah. Um, after it was, I was kind of like, oh, okay, like he's fine. So his heart rate stabilised after that and he was totally fine. Um, they left me alone for, you know, a while and I just sort of napped and um, felt a bit better. Um, and then I can't remember. I think I... Um, they did a VE and they were like, oh, you're, you're nine centimetres. And this is about 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, and they were like, you know, not long now, you know, nine centimetres. I thought that was pretty good progression. Yeah. I thought I was pretty impressed with myself. I was like, that's quite good <laughs> considering he's like posterior and all of the other things. And the fact that I was like just laying on my back from the epi, like I thought it was quite mm. good. Um. And then I started to get really sick. I said to Matt, like, I don't feel well, like it's really hot in here. And he was like, oh, really? Like it's not that warm. And I was like sweating. 
and I was just oh I don't feel well at all like I'm I'm so hot can we not you turn the fans on and they're like we don't have fans (laughs) (laughs) um so I was really yeah I started to feel really really sick um they took my fever and I think I had a fever of like 39 um so it was really high and they sort of panicked a bit and everyone was sort of like rushing around me and they pumped me full of um antibiotics and fluids um and yeah so it was an intra intrapartum fever I think they call it uh, I think it was from um an infection in my um, like an amniotic infection yeah because um yeah it just sort of I think it was another just lots of intervention and it was kind of like not long after they'd done that thing where they put the speculum in mm. and took the samples from his head so and all the VAs I mean, I you'd know. been having Exactly, and I think I had like maybe seven VEs between when I'd been induced and when I was nine centimetres. And because I had a student, she was doing some as well, so some of them I had twice. So, yeah, it was a lot and I just didn't, it was just something that didn't even occur to me that that could be, yeah you know, that could cause an outcome like that. I just well, didn't they don't. They don't tell you that. I'm, I've been at many, many births and they're like, well, you know, you only have X amount of time after your waters break because there's a risk of infection. And as soon as they leave, I always say to the mum, the main risk of infection is them doing VEs after your waters have broken. Yeah. They don't tell you that, exactly. you know. No, because they want to be able to keep yeah. doing the VEs. They don't want you to say no to it because it's like it's on a clock. It's how they, like, you know, they dictate when you give birth kind of thing it's just yeah um so I mean that was really awful I remember Matt kind of saying to me afterwards he's like I didn't want to say anything at the time but you looked so sick he was really really worried (laughs) Um, and yeah he was like I don't didn't really know how you were going to go on and push a baby out like you just looked really really unwell and it's really it's really hard for the partners at at times like that as well because they don't have any support there either and they're just as new to all of this as you are and they feel really helpless at that moment and they're just kind of left by the wayside and ignored by all of the staff, you know. Yeah, he really was. Like he sort of just sat in the chair in the corner. I don't think, I mean, he would come up to me, you know, when I was awake um, and like hold my hand and stuff. But I also think when they were like fussing around me when I was really sick, they kind of like get him to move out of the way so that they could put the antibiotics and stuff in. And I, yeah, I did feel like he kind of felt like that, like he wasn't yeah. included in it. Um, so once they pumped me full of fluids, um, Matt's kept saying to them, like, she's really swollen. Like, I, this isn't normal for her. You know, like she's, she doesn't normally look like this. And So I, he could see that you were having fluid retention? Yeah, like a lot. And he kind of said, oh, this is like strange. Like she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't look like that. Like she's not that big kind of thing he kept saying to her. Yeah, I think because <laughs> we also had like the midwife swaps over in that time, they sort of came in and like, they just thought that that's just what I looked like. But I was like so swollen like looking back on the photos now I just can't help but laugh at them because I look ridiculous um and my whole face is just like so swollen and my legs and yeah it was it was I was really I was holding a lot of fluid and so it was really noticeable then yeah definitely and like this is directly related to like the reduced urine output that I had earlier on so um my catheter wasn't draining properly um oh my god and it wasn't really brought up like they kind of were like oh yeah it's a decreased out like urine output and I'm swollen like even I as a like third semester nurse know that those two things mean that this person's like their urine output is not good and like they're not like you know they're um they've got edema and stuff like you need to sort that out 
but they especially pumped... when they've just hooked you up to fluids as well like yeah well, I think that's the thing they pumped a whole bag of fluids they pumped a whole bag of like antibiotics like diluted into me IV so I was holding a lot of that um, and I did start to feel better after the antibiotics but not I don't think I ever really like recovered from that like I just kind of never like I never felt better again I just felt really yuck um so they kind of just ignored us and they just they, my fever went down to like a reasonable level and they kind of were just like oh that's fine you know kind of thing and then I got, it was about 12 a.m in the morning and the midwife and my student midwife both did a VE and they were like yep you're 12 centimeters I mean 10 centimeters we'll just give you an hour and um you can start pushing and I was like oh my god like I'm gonna do this you know I actually felt very like I'm gonna be able to do this um, um it was probably the first time that I was like yes you know and yeah within five minutes the first OB who said that I wasn't it probably wasn't going to work had come into the room because she'd been notified about my fever um so she came in and there was some more dips in Sally's heart rate as well um like they were going down and they weren't really recovering they were kind of recovering sometimes but not other times yeah um and yeah she came in and she said um she did her own VE and she was like oh you're only eight centimeters you're not fully dilated yet um so now I know that VEs are subjective like I didn't know that before I didn't know I just thought oh maybe the midwife and the student midwife did it wrong you know I didn't realize yeah and she said to me, I'll, I'll never forget the way she said this. She says, I think we should just call it a day oh. and give you a C-section. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, it, just her language the whole way through was just so unsupportive and just really, like, just made me feel really shit. Language about- is so important and it is, like, I know of women who have sustained birth trauma just from things that have been said to them, not things that have been done, just things that have been said, like words hold such weight when you're in such a vulnerable position and we don't pay enough attention to that at all. Definitely. And like that's, I think that's where a lot of my birth trauma stemmed from was her not supporting me and just, just like, you know, that was one time that I felt like, yeah, I can do this and I'm 10 centimetres, I can push this baby out, I've got this. And she came in and just teared me down within a second, you, you know. just come crashing down, yeah. Yeah, and it was just and from the beginning she just, I just could tell that she didn't believe in me and didn't believe in my ability and that just, that's always stayed with me. You know, that person should have really believed in yeah. my body so that I could have believed in my body and she just didn't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, actually like reading my birth notes, she was the only person to write failure to progress on anything. Um, but I wasn't failing to progress, you know, like you were progressing, I progressed fine. And it was even written there on my notes by her, like C-section due to, um, fever and failure to progress. Oh my God. Um, that just, that, that whole line needs to just be like written from, birthing mums like failure to progress is just the worst term like it's really just awful yeah um so yeah I mean she was the only person to say that and I think that just speaks volumes that she just didn't believe in me and she just wanted me to have to just get the baby out so you know she can just carry on with her day kind of thing how did you feel at that moment when she said that like one second you're thinking yes I'm gonna do this and then she comes waltzing in and what went through your mind how did you how did you react to that I was just really defeated. Yeah, totally defeated. And just, I kind of just went into sort of like 
numb mode um I just was like okay you're like let's just get this baby out whatever you know um and even my midwife when she was like filling out the paperwork for the c-section she stood at the end of my bed and she said I really wish they'd just given you a little bit more time she didn't say to you you can have more time like there's no no and I remember just later on I remember that comment and I thought why didn't I not say like is that an option I just kind of just didn't say anything I just was like all right, like this is what they're telling me to do and this is just another thing that we just got yeah. swept along the whole time was just swept, 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 like this is what you do, this is what we do, this is what we're doing. It was never like this is what could happen, like this is these are the risks, like this is this, like explaining things and telling us like, and letting us have our own choice. It was just like this is what we're going to do now because this is what's best. Yeah. And I was just, yeah, the whole time we kind of just got dragged along. So that was 12 a.m. Um, they said that. And then oh, 12.30 she came in and then um, so I was category 2 C-section and luckily they, there was no one else there so it all happened quite quickly. I didn't really have enough time to freak myself out about it because obviously it's like a really scary thing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it was really scary. The room went from this really like dark sort of nice calm place with not too many people in it to just like so many people in the room all the lights turned on, everyone running around, kind of like getting everything organised and it just, it feels really surreal. That like time I don't really remember it too much but I just remember it being very like I was just floating above, you know, watching everything happen. I didn't really feel like I was there. It was a really strange feeling. Yeah, and more people that you don't know as well. Exactly and just like more people in my, yeah, more people in my birth space that I just didn't know and, yeah, it was really, it was really full on. So, um yeah, so we went in and went into the um, into the um, theatre and Matt had to wait outside um, for the first bit when they took me in there. They um, topped my epidural up. Like just being in a theatre is really full on because the lights are really bright and it's very scary. And I it's think it's really scary. You don't really know, you know, like if you're going to have surgery, you know before you're going to have surgery, <laughs> but just to know from you know within fifteen minutes, like we're going to cut you open it's just really full-on so I kind of I mean my um student midwife messaged me the next day and she was like you know like you're so brave you had a big smile on your face going into the theater I honestly don't remember having a smile on my face like I must have just been in like survival mode you know like just smile and just let's just get this done yeah Um, and you have people by your side saying things like you're gonna meet your baby soon you're like is that supposed to make this all better like am I like yeah of course I'm happy that I'm gonna meet my baby soon but it doesn't it doesn't negate everything that has happened to me up until this point you know and it's still fucking scary yeah so scary um so yeah they I mean they and then they brought Matt in and like the the C-section was quite rough I don't think I was expecting it to be as rough as it was I think because he was so wedged down in my pelvis because obviously I'd gotten to 10 centimeters he was right there yeah (laughs) you know like whether he thinks I did or not I was but um it was really rough and they actually cut me um when when they she cut me open she's sort of they sort of of saying something behind the thing about my bladder was really distended and this was the thing my catheter wasn't draining properly so my bladder was massive um, and that this is like why I was holding all this fluid kind of thing. So they actually had to recatheterize me while I was on the table. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was not very nice. And then, um, yeah, and then. Was it being explained to you as this was going on, like while you were on the table no. or were they kind of just doing their thing? 
Not at all. And this is the other thing that I've really struggled with is that whole time while my C-section was happening, I just didn't feel like I was a part of it. Like it felt like it was happening to me. It wasn't like I was birthing yeah. my baby, yeah. you know. It was, yeah, and I think that's another like main like a part of my trauma as well that I just didn't feel like I had any part yeah, to play in it. I, I, that, and that is and that, was, that is so common. I think that that, yeah, um, especially for unexpected C-sections, maybe not so much for elective C-sections when you have the time to plan and make your choices known. But when you're being rolled in, you know, when 15 minutes before you thought you were going to push your baby out, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's an unfortunate normalcy of an unexpected C-section is to feel like it, you're not really a part of it anymore. Yeah, definitely. And just the, the conversations that were happening in the room at the time, Oh, this like, is, I get such yeah. a bee in my bonnet about this. Like obstetricians discussing their plans for the weekend when they're birthing someone's baby. Like it's yeah. just appalling. Literally the people, I think it was the anesthesiologist and like the one of the nurses were like talking about going bike riding on the weekend or something. And oh, my fucking in my God. Head, like, Shut up. But like I didn't want to say anything, you know. I just kind of sat there and I was like, this is just another day for you, but this is like the birth of my first child, you know, like a big thing. Just be quiet. Oh mama, that sucks. Yeah. It was really rough. Um, so, I mean, when they pulled him out, um, we didn't know what we're having. So we didn't know if we're having a boy or a girl. Um, and I, that was really good. I think it was a really good thing that we didn't know because it was kind of like the only really exciting thing about my birth. Um, with like with the c-section and everything they just said you know like when they pulled him out I was like oh my god what is it like is it a boy or is it a girl and um as soon as the ob pulled him out she was like oh you were never going to get this out oh my like, god huge. so just another another yeah. thing that I could tell she, she just didn't she didn't believe in me I feel so. like in that moment some of them think that <laughs> okay I like to believe that their intentions aren't always all that bad and maybe some obstetricians and people in those positions think that that might make it easier for you to deal with because they think, oh, well, you couldn't have done it anyway. This isn't your fault, you know, but they don't understand the weight that their words carry. So much, so much weight and so much impact. And, like, that still stays with me now. Like, it's just one of those things that I'll never forget. And, like, I look at people who birthed way bigger babies than Sully. Like, he was quite big. He was four and a half kilos. But, I mean, on the biggest end, but he wasn't, you know, huge. And he wasn't too big for my body. I didn't have, you know, GD. It wasn't like I had some sort of, like, thing that was going to, like, medically make him too big. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was really heartbreaking, um, her hearing her say that. Um, And so, yeah. He had a fever when they pulled him out, so I think that was where my infection was. It was in my in my womb. Wow. Um, so he had the fever, and he also I think it's a normal thing for C-section babies. They have to have that sort of like tube thing go in so that they can help them breathe or something like to pull the gunk out. I don't I don't actually know how if it's normal or not, but. Sometimes it's necessary, but, yeah, I think that um, some care providers just do it as routine. Yeah, so they pulled him out um, and they just took him off to the side, like, 
straight away weighed him and took his temperature and all that sort of stuff. And the obstetrician stood in, like the pediatrician stood in front of, like in front of him the whole time. So like, I didn't even see him. I didn't know what he looked like. Oh like, my god! I just, yeah, it was really hard. Um, and I just kind of sat there, you know, like I was like, I don't feel a part of this. And now they've just taken him away. And I think because I didn't plan to have a C-section, I didn't have a birth plan in place that put in measures like skin to skin and stuff like that. Like that, I didn't put, I didn't write it down. And obviously, they're not going to just do it unless I really, you know, was strong about it. So the really shit thing about the, that is that most hospitals have an obligation to do that, but yeah, <laughs> you know, like they, they should don't. just do that, and they should at least let you know that that's a choice that you um well within your rights to make, a C-section or not. Exactly. Yeah. And I just, because I just thought that that was like delayed claw camping and because I just thought all of that stuff was just going to happen anyway. Mm. Um, and it just didn't like they, they took, they sent my placenta off to pathology without even asking me. Oh. Um, and the student midwife came over and she was like, oh my gosh, like you had the biggest placenta. I've never seen a placenta that big before. Like amazing. She was so impressed with it. And I was like, oh, I want to oh. see it. <laughs> and she was like, oh, they've taken it away. Like they took it to pathology. And I that's just yours. Thought, yeah. Like that's mine. That's part of me. Like you wouldn't cut my leg off and take it to pathology without asking me, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I felt really upset about that as well. And um, they said to, they sort of wrapped him up and then gave him to Matt and Matt was just, like we were both tearing up. It was really beautiful. I mean, it's still beautiful. Like it's hard and it was not the way that I wanted it, but like he was still here and I still got to meet him, you know, like and it was in that sense like it was really nice. Yeah. But I didn't get to hold him um, and they wrapped him up for a second. They said, oh, you can hold him for a bit, but then we have to take him to the NICU. And I kept going like, why? Is there something wrong? And they were like, oh, no, like it's just for screening because he's got this temperature. And I kept thinking, like, why would you take him to the NICU if there's nothing wrong mm. with him? Um, but they were just like, oh, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. And then they sort of wheeled him out of the room. Um, You're literally like, bound to a bed. Like there's little you can do about it. That- yeah, there's nothing I could do. And I said to Matt, I was like, just go with him. Like I don't want him to be by himself. You know, go, go, go. Like don't stay here. Um, so Matt went with him and um, – yeah, I was just like laid there on the bed. No one talked to me after that. So you were on your own? On my own, yeah. Um, we didn't really have anyone else. Aww. So it was just me and him. And then he went off and Sally and I was by myself. So yeah, no one talked to me. Like no one in the birth space, like in the theatre, even thought to be like, oh, let's check in and like see if she's okay. Like the anesthesiologist was like too busy chatting about what he was going to do on the weekend. Um. And yeah, I was shaking really violently from all of the like all of the spinal block and stuff I just and I kept saying like is this normal and he just like would be like yeah it's fine and then go on to whatever he was doing so um I had about a liter blood loss um while I was having my c-section um so that was a lot and I already sort of had a bit of iron deficiency going on like late in my pregnancy but they were just I was taking supplements it wasn't they didn't sort of say it was anything too bad um, I didn't actually know I had the blood loss until the next day either. Um, I They sort of stitched me up and sent me to recovery by myself uh. again. Um, and, yeah, I just sort of sat there and I kept saying to the midwife, she was busy filling out paperwork and she was kind of poking her head in every now and then. I just kept being like, where is my baby? Like, where is he? Like, I want him. Like, this isn't fair. 
Um, they were like, oh, he's fine. You know, he's in the NICU. He's fine. But they were saying he was in the NICU and then they were saying he's fine. And I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like that doesn't add up. Like what's If he's fine, on? he should be here. Exactly. And I just, I felt like they were either lying to me or they had taken him away for not a good enough reason, you know, and it just, I was really upset by that. Um, and yeah, so I was actually alone for three hours. Um, oh my God. Holy shit, without your baby. Yeah, so they even took me back from recovery back to my room. Um, yeah, so he was in the NICU the whole time and they they finally wheeled him back into the room. Um, and it was about maybe 4 a.m. in the morning and, um, yeah, Matt, like, went to sit down and the midwife was like, oh, no, you have to leave. Like, it's, it's visiting hours are over. Like, you have to go. Oh, for fuck's sake. Like... <laughs> I know are you kidding me Matt hadn't slept like he was the same as me he hadn't slept for like five days and I just thought you're gonna make him drive home like and we haven't even had like yeah any time as a family like I was just and I remember crying and I was like don't please don't leave like I don't want you to leave and the midwife was like sorry like it's just hospital policy <sighs> like he has to go now and like it was 4 oh my god um visiting hours started again at eight like they couldn't just let him sit in the room. We had our own room as well, so it wasn't even like we were in a shared room. You are recovering from a C-section that was unexpected. Like you've had no sleep and now, oh, here's your baby and we'll be gone. Yeah, a year later, like it was just, I was like, yeah, looking back on it now, I'm just, I wish I'd just said like, no way, like he's not going. But I just, you know, again, I just didn't really have the confidence to stand up for myself. And you know, you're getting told this is just hospital policy. This is what you yeah, have to or do. Yeah, probably so, the energy. Like, well, look at everything that you had just been through, you know. Exactly. Um, and I was so out of it on drugs. Like, um, obviously, all the drugs that they pump full of you when you have a C-section is really yeah. full on. Sorry. Um, so... Yeah, it was – I don't remember holding him for the first time. I don't remember our first breastfeed. Like, I – and then, you know, and then Matt was sent home um, really early and I don't really remember that first sort of few hours. I just – yeah, I'm, it's all just a big blur you, to me. You would have been running on fumes. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was just exhausted and then obviously having the bleed as well, it just depleted yeah. me. Um, and, yeah, I just – I don't really remember much of those like first sort of moments and that is something that I will just never get back and it, that is another thing that just really made me feel like a total failure. Um, yeah, just not not remembering, you know, everyone was like, you know, giving birth is really hard but that moment like when they put that baby on your chest, like it, it will just all seem so worth it and to me it just didn't seem worth it. I know it sounds awful but it really didn't. It was I just felt. You know, I remember one of the midwives was like holding Sully to because obviously if I needed him to feed, they had to pick him up and because I couldn't stand up because I'd had the C-section and she was holding him and I remember looking at him being like, like, is that even mine? Like I just didn't feel like he was my oh, baby. Oh, man. Yeah, it was awful. It was really hard. So, I mean, I get upset thinking about yeah, it. I'm getting but... upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was really 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 tough um so yeah um he didn't like latch on straight away of either course not. he hadn't even been with you like oh no time to bond no time to establish breastfeeding 
Yeah, exactly. So I was um, syringe feeding for the first few days. Like he just wouldn't latch on at all. And I think because he'd had so much sort of like, um, I ended up seeing an osteo and she said like when they have so much trauma on there, like you, you should have seen the shape of his head when they finally pulled him out. Like it was, his whole face was like battered and bruised. And he, I think they used the forceps to get him out when they gave the C-section. So he had like, he looked like he'd been in like a fist fight. The oh. little dude had like, you know, black eyes and I think that was just, he was just exhausted as well. So, yeah, feeding was really hard to be like fast in the beginning. He just didn't latch and all of that sort of stuff. So just that cascade of intervention just sort of carried on after birth. It doesn't no, stop. No, and I think that so many people um, don't realise that, that it does have um, carry-on effects after the birth, you know, and well into your postpartum period. I mean, so now not only are you dealing with the physical and mental trauma of having an unexpected C-section and not, not feeling supported, then now you have to deal with, um, you know, a baby that you don't feel connected to and you feel like you can't even feed on your own. I mean, yeah, it's just terrible. I think not having that, you know, natural oxytocin and all that sort of stuff like that's the stuff that sort of helps with breastfeeding and helps with your milk production and helps with your bonding and stuff. And I just didn't have it. Like it was just not there. Um, so, yeah, it was really, I mean, it sort of set us off for a not very great start. Did you feel supported in your breastfeeding journey when you were in hospital after your C-section? Were they, were they helping you? Were they, how did you feel mentally around that while you were still in the hospital recovering? Not at all. I think my, like, the lack of care carried on and if not was even worse after I gave birth. I remember saying to Matt, I kind of feel like you're this all-important person and then the baby comes out and then you're not important anymore, you know. like We're done with you now. <laughs> yeah, like move on to the ward, like see you later kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, I just, they would, the midwives were just really busy and um, you could tell that they were all just so stressed, like, the whole time. And, like, every time they came into the room, they were stressed, you felt stressed. Like, it was just not a very nice feeling. Um, and I definitely didn't feel supported with the breastfeeding. I remember, you know, they're like, oh, it's a hands-off approach and then they'd, like, grab your boob and, like, try and put it in the baby's mouth and you're like, whoa, like, you're touching me without asking, like... I, yeah, it was really just a, it was a really hard time, and he um, also he'd been cannulated. Oh. So the reason that they'd sent him to the NICU, Matt said that they didn't even do anything except poke him with needles the whole time. Like they were just trying to get blood from oh him. Oh my goodness! To take tests, so it was purely three hours in the NICU for screening. Um, looking back at my birth notes, I'm so angry because I know that that thing that stuff could have been done while he was yep. with me. Um, and it probably would have made it easier for them to do that. Like if he was latched on feeding while they were taking bloods, like they can do it from his feet, you know, like it's they did it later on yeah. and they can take blood from their feet. So it was one of those things that I felt really robbed yeah. of um, and it was not, I didn't feel like it was a necessary intervention. Um, and anyway, so he had the cannula, which also made our breastfeeding even harder because Obviously, he has this big cannula in his hand and like a little plank on his arm. So one side he just didn't want to lay on because that was the side that he had the cannula in. Which is so. really hard when you're recovering from major abdominal surgery. I mean, you're pretty limited in how you can manoeuvre a baby around you as it is, let alone having all these other things to deal with. Totally. And he was like big as well, like I said, like 
4.5. So he was a big baby and I was like struggling to find positions that worked, that we could work around the cannula and his size and my C-section scar. And yeah, it was just a, it was really full on. And I definitely didn't feel supported in my aftercare. Um, obviously every night Matt had to go home um, because it's a public hospital. Uh-uh. Um, so yeah, I mean, when they took him to the NICU as well, they gave him a dummy without my consent and they also gave him sugar water without my consent. And I said to Matt, like, did they ask you? And he can't remember, but he doesn't remember them asking him. He was obviously really tired at the time, but I don't think that they did those things with consent. (sighs) So that also really upset me. And I remember one of the midwives when I was trying to breastfeed, she was like, oh, they shouldn't have given him that sugar water kind of thing. And I thought, well, why did they do it then? Like, what's going on? There's all these things that are happening that I'm not getting, like, he's my baby and this is like my choice and I'm not getting asked about this stuff. Like, I just felt really annoyed by all of that. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, continuing on with breastfeeding I syringe fed him for three days he would occasionally latch but it wasn't a great latch I don't think he was like um getting anything from me um I had really good colostrum supply in the beginning but it's sort of toward maybe like just looking now maybe by day three or four um, my colostrum had kind of like I wasn't able to express any hand out of my – it was kind of like not not there anymore. Right. And my milk wasn't coming in. Um, I was pumping all the time, you know, and I had like, lactation consultants come in and out. But they said – I remember her being like, oh, do you want to come to like a breastfeeding talk? And I literally had like a catheter in. <sighs> I like had my stomach cut open. And I was like, how do you expect me to get to a talk? Like a cat, like a breastfeeding talk with a catheter still in. I just looked at her like, yeah, whatever, I'll do it, no worries. And then I was just like, I'm not going to go to that. That's so stupid. Um, so yeah, she, I don't even think she like looked inside his mouth. I don't think she even watched us latch. She was just kind of like, oh yeah, come to the class. Like it'll tell you everything. And I'd done the breastfeeding classes at the hospital before, so I was kind of like, it was bullshit anyway. Yeah. Like they were like, the baby will crawl up your chest and like latch onto your breast and like it's all natural instinct. And I'm like, well, yeah, if you get that golden hour and if you get that breastfeeding established straight away, those things definitely can happen but not yeah, for Yeah, that's normal in a, a normal physiological birth but it's very, very fucking hard to have a normal physiological birth in a hospital even without all of the other complications that you had. Um, yeah exactly so I mean I just kind of felt like I was different to what they were that advice they were giving anyway so like it wouldn't have sort of like applied to me so I just didn't feel like I needed to go and I I just yeah it was it was really hard um so by day four he just cried the whole time he was very unsettled from the get-go um but he yeah he just cried all the time he was really upset I couldn't get him to latch I didn't have any colostrum to give him it was a really tough time and um I remember I was changing his nappy and I thought there was blood in his nappy and I obviously panicked and like rung the bell um they came in and the midwife was like oh like these are urine crystals like crystallized urine from dehydration she's and then she just turned to me and she goes have you been feeding him oh my goodness and I just thought, oh, my God, like, yes, I'm trying. Like, I'm trying my best and, like, I don't 
like I don't have anything to give him and he's not latching and I like I just don't know what to do and she kind of just was like this is your fault you know like that's what I felt like from her I felt awful because you know he's dehydrated and he's tiny and I just yeah I just felt like the worst mum ever um and you're only on day four I know it was really tough so um I was supposed to be getting discharged the next day and obviously I was like over the moon about leaving the hospital because I just hated being there and being away from that at night times and it was just like we're beeping and it's not home you know you just want to be in your home and like feel comfortable um and um the discharging midwife came in and she was like oh like how are you feeling and I just burst into tears and I was like oh my god like it's not working my breastfeeding's not working I don't know what to do he's hungry he's crying you know I sort of like unloaded onto her and um she said like look I don't normally suggest but like considering all of the circumstances that have been going on and the fact that he's dehydrated and you, you don't have any milk yet like I think maybe we should give him a top up a formula no you keep breastfeeding and I just thought like okay like if that's gonna if that's gonna help let's do it mm-hmm. um but she did say like let you stay another night we'll continue with the breastfeeding and we'll also do like sns tube feeding that's what she wanted to give the top up through um so that means it doesn't really interfere with their latch it's not giving them a bottle um so I was really happy for that because I thought I don't really want anything else to get in the way of our breastfeeding journey like it's already been tough yeah. Um, and I think introducing a body wouldn't have been the best thing for us. So I'm surprised that they suggested that. That's really good. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting it, and you could tell she was a little bit hesitant. But I think she sort of took everything to account and just went like, "Yeah, like this is what we're gonna do." And then, yeah, instead of just being lazy and giving him the bottle, she said like, "Let's do tube feeding." So, um, I agreed to stay another night because them setting up the tube feeding and they were going to help with that and obviously I couldn't really do that at home it's a bit tricky um I didn't have all the stuff and I wanted them to teach me how to do it anyway so um I agreed to stay the other night um and we had this lovely midwife she was so nice um and she was kind of like helping us with the breastfeeding and stuff and the SNS and she gave Solly his like showed us how to give Sally his first bath and she was just really kind and like lovely like I'll always remember her as probably the only midwife in that whole thing as the person that just like made us feel really comfortable and able um and yeah she was really nice um and she let Matt stay a little bit later that night as well um and then she went home she wrote in my notes like this is the plan this is what we're doing I can I've actually got my birth record so I've seen the notes um and yeah, I nighttime came, Matt went home, I was doing what I normally do. So I was putting him to the breast for 30 minutes on each side, um, letting him obviously like suck to like bring my milk in and stuff. Um, he was getting frustrated, obviously, because there's nothing coming out. So like baby sucking, there's nothing coming out. He was getting really annoyed. Um, so he was crying. And then I rang the bell for the midwife to come in and do the SNS feeding. And this woman that I didn't know, this midwife that I didn't know came in. And she said, oh, what's going on? Like, what do you want? And I just, she was awful straight from the bat. And I just said, oh, like, this is what's been happening. Um, I just wondered if I could get the SNS, like, top up now. Um, I fed him to the breast and he's still hungry. And she said, oh, I don't believe in top ups. Oh, my God. And I thought, oh, my God, like, here we go. And she said, I just think you're being lazy. She said that to you? 
Yeah, I remember it so clearly. She said, I just think you're being lazy. You don't want him to be awake when you're awake. And um, if you think he's hungry, you should put oh him to the God. breast. But obviously she hadn't read my notes because it was all there. Like it was a plan that we had put in place and it was the reason that I was there another night. Um, And she's like, he just needs a dummy. He's not hungry. Like she just sort of came in with her plan. Like she just shut me down and, yeah, told me I was being lazy. Um, And she refused to give me the top up. So she left the room and I was really upset. And I called Matt and I just said, like, oh, my God, like this is what's happened. He was furious. He was like really really angry just when you feel like you're starting to get a plan and it's all going to be okay and you've got someone who's going to support you and someone who's going to help you through it and there's the light at the end of the tunnel exactly like I just yeah I she just tore me down in a few seconds and like her comments stuck with me the entire way through my breastfeeding like if she really like me thinking that I was being lazy every time breastfeeding was really hard and I was, you know, things were really tough. I just kept thinking, oh, I'm just being lazy, you know, like suck it up kind of thing. So it was really tough. Um, So, yeah, I called her back and I just said, like, give me the top up, you know, like after I spoke to Matt, I felt a bit more like strong in myself and I said, I want it now. And um, she went out of the room and she she brought a bottle back and she put the bottle on the table and she was like, there you go. And uh, so I had to give him the bottle because she wouldn't do the see the like tube feeding. Um, so I gave him the bottle of formula. Obviously, he went to sleep because he was hungry and that's what he needed. Um, and yeah, then the next morning I woke up and I told the new midwife, like the midwife who'd put that plan in place, and she just rolled her eyes and she was like, "I'm so sorry that that happened." Um, she was like, "Just go home and you can do whatever you want without anyone telling you what." like telling you their opinion you know <sighs> so we went home and um it wasn't until yeah I mean we just really struggled with breasting I mixed feed from I mixed feed from the very beginning because um his latch was really terrible and it wasn't until I saw a lactation consultant who said at at six weeks like I battled along with six weeks with almost no support um my milk came in on day six and, th- I mean, that helped a bit, but, yeah, it was really yeah. tough. And, yeah, so six weeks um, I saw the child health nurse and she said he's got a tongue and a lip tie. Like, I don't know why no one has picked this Did up. Did they check it all in hospital? I remember one of the midwives had a little look, but the lactation consultant didn't have a look. Like, no one sort of said that that was even a thing. I didn't even know it was mm. a thing. So, um, yeah, so the child health nurse said, like, I'll refer you. Um, so we had it lasered. But by then, um, my postnatal depression had really taken over me. Um, I didn't, I just thought it was the baby blues in the beginning. But yeah, I think everything that had happened and all of the awful things that had sort of come into place and the people that I had had contact with through my birth really affected yeah. me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've struggled in the past, so I guess I'm kind of predisposed, but Mm. I feel like a lot of my, um, PND was directly related to my birth trauma. Um, and just, yeah, my whole birthing experience, I just felt very, um, like it was my fault, I think a lot of the time. And even thinking back, I just, 
you know, I kept being like, if I'd done this or if I'd stood up for myself here or if I'd said this, like things could have been it's different. It's so hard not to do that, isn't it, when you look back and you're like, well, it was it all out of my control? And, I mean, we are our own worst enemies and given the fact that you were anxious even before the birth, I mean, if you had have had good continuity of care while you were pregnant, they would have been able to pick up that you might have been more predisposed to have PND after and you would not have fallen through the cracks again. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was it was a really tough time. I just thought like this is what normal mums feel, like it's hard and it's sad and like I'm sure everyone has these births, you know, I kind of kind of just brushed it under the rug a mm. lot. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, with the breastfeeding as well, I just I remember just sitting up and I would just cry all the time. Oh, mama. And um, yeah, it was really tough. Matt went back to work because he was contracting at the time. So he only had two weeks. We could only sort of afford for him to take two weeks off. And obviously my whole labour and birth was a week in itself because <laughs> um, he was with me those days that I was having that spurious labour. So he'd taken that time off work. So by the time we'd gotten home from hospital, which was day five, um, I went back to work three days later. Aww. So, um, I mean, it was really, really tough. Um, and, yeah, I'd obviously been having a C-section and not having that ability to go out and, you know, I just felt very stuck at home. And I, obviously we had visitors and stuff, but it was just it was a really lonely time for me. Um, yeah, and I just felt like a total failure. I think all of the sort of comments that had been made you know like oh you were never going to get him out and you're just being lazy like those things that people's words can just affect someone so much and yeah I really struggled to bond with him in the beginning because of all of those things and I think that wasn't just another thing to load on top of myself and make me myself feel bad and then you start to feel guilty about it yeah yeah exactly so I mean I got to maybe he was about three months old and I know I knew that I had um PND had spoken to my GP about it but the medication that they wanted to put me on that was like best breastfeeding friendly I'd had previously and had reactions to it so the one that I could take wasn't like I, they didn't know about it with breastfeeding so I got to three months and like our breastfeeding journey was not going very well anyway and I just thought like is it better to have a baby that is like breastfed or is it better to have a baby who has a mum who is like mentally stable enough to look after him and it did really come down to that sort of you know I do I I just have to take the medication so that I can get on and like look after him and not fall a piece to fall to pieces so yeah it was a tough really tough decision but that's just what I did and um yeah so we stopped breastfeeding at three months because that's when I started taking my medication That sucks. That would have been such a hard decision for you to make. Sorry. <laughs> Did you feel supported in that decision or were you kind of still feeling all alone? Um, I mean, to an extent I had my good GP was back. Um, so I was talking to her about it and she just, she was really lovely about it. She was like, you know, whatever you decide, like I'll support you, like we'll support you and, but she was like, I really want you to put yourself first because I think that, you know, you need to be in a situation that you can be the best in yourself so that you can, like, look after him. Um, so I did really feel supported by her. Um, was it more of an internal 
battle then, more of a mental battle in yourself making that choice? Yes, totally. And I would swap and change between like, no, I'm going to do this. And, you know, we have a good feed and I'd be like, I can do this. And then we'd have a bad feed and I'd be like, I'll do this anymore. Like it was very, very swap and change. And I couldn't really make a decision for ages. And I think Matt was kind of like, I'll support you. But I think he really, really wanted me to take the medication because he knew that I needed it. (laughs) So, I mean, he was always very, very supportive and, you know, I'll support you with whatever you want to do. But it it, ultimately it was my decision, you know, and it just, that felt like a lot, like it was a big weight for me to have to make that choice. At the time when you were making that decision, did you start to link it to your birth experience and everything that happened or did that realisation come later on down the track? Um, definitely later on down the track. I think it wasn't really until I started um, seeing a psychologist about my postnatal depression that I realized, like I sort of linked it all in. I just kind of thought, oh, I've got, you know, PND, like I'm predisposed to it because of I've had, you know, anxiety in the past and that sort of thing. Um, but it wasn't until she kind of said, like, yeah. from what you're telling me, it seems like you've got birth trauma, like this is, you know, really this is a really hard time, you know, you've been through a really rough time and it's totally fine to feel like this. Um, so, yeah, she she was really amazing and she sort of um, made me get my birth records and, like, look over everything and I think that's kind of where it all started to link in. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I didn't feel so to blame. Like, I think looking back at, at all the things that happened and, you know, I mean, he's one now, so it's been a, a long time coming. But, yeah, I think that sort of thing, looking and reading everything back and thinking, you know, like, this wasn't my fault and, like, I'm not a bad mum for what happened. Like, um, yeah, it took a lot. But I was, yeah, I did in those early days I really did blame myself and I didn't link it all together until quite a little bit later in time. You know, people would be like, oh, you've had a hard birth kind of thing. But, you know, I was kind of like, everyone has hard births, don't they? And it wasn't sort of until I really thought about it that I thought, wow, like, this is not ideal. How did you link up with that service? Um, what, what was the kind of timeline of your postpartum period and, and how, did, how did you find yourself in that position with um, seeing someone about your PND? Um, so I think I really started to, I mean, when I had that six-week appointment with my child health nurse, they do that sort of thing where you tick how you feel and all that that test and that was when it first got sort of flagged and she um, advised me to go and see my GP Um, so I went and saw the GP and we spoke about it at length and obviously that's when we started talking about the medications and stuff so that was around three months um, postpartum and she linked me with a um, community um, sort of uh, postnatal um, psychologist thing called uh, the Raphael Center I think it's called um, and I went to one um, appointment with them which took a little while for me to get an appointment but I also had to drive all the way to the city which is like about a half an hour 40 minute drive um, with a newborn which wasn't really great um, and they didn't have any spots in the place closest to us um, it just was packed. It was full to full capacity. So I went to that one appointment, but slowly cried the entire way in the car. And it just, I was like, I couldn't handle it at that time, like listening to 40 minutes of a baby scream. 
Um, and I really struggled. I remember pulling over on the side of the road and almost having a panic attack on the phone to Matt because I just couldn't make it. So I went to that one appointment and then just said, like, look, if you can't get me in close to home, I'm just going to find someone else because I can't do this. Um, and they just said, oh, okay, no worries. So um, the lady that I went and saw was private, um, which was quite expensive. I got put on a mental health care plan, but it's still you only get 10 sessions at a discounted rate and you still have to pay the gap. So, I mean, for us, that was quite expensive with not having any private health cover and um, Matt having had just had time off um, with him being a, yeah, and him being a contractor as well. So any time off he has, he doesn't get paid for it. So, um, yeah, it was really tough and it just sort of like added a little bit of extra stress. But I'm glad that I did it and saw someone close to home because, yeah, it was just a lot easier to get there and, um, it helped my anxiety and she was, she's been amazing. I mean, I still see her occasionally when I'm um, having some trouble or just feel like I need to talk to someone. Um, yeah. And it's just been a massive thing for me to, you know, have that support from her. How did you feel going through your birth notes when you first got a hold of them? Did you go through them with her? Did you, how did that make you feel having a look at them and reading everything that was in them? I went through them myself actually and it was really tough like and there was a lot so much of it that I just didn't realize had happened you know like I mean I'm telling you the story now after having read my birth notes but I think if I told you before it would have been very different um and there was like yeah a lot of things like um just seeing that in that those words like failure to progress that she put on there even though I hadn't failed to progress and stuff like that I mean it obviously brought up a lot Mm. of stuff for me and reading that lady who called me lazy's notes infuriated me I mean her her comments on the thing just said mum struggling kind of thing and it it made it very directed at me Um, yeah and I, I think I was really upset by that you know her comment was I can't remember exactly, but it was something along the lines of like, um, mum not happy that baby hasn't settled right away after feed. Kind oh of my thing. God. And I was, yeah, I was really annoyed by that. And I have thought, I have thought about reporting her, but I mean, it's a year on now and a part of me just thinks just to, to let it yeah. go. But yeah, I mean, I still sort of have a conflict with maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. That's something but. I was going to ask you is um, whether you knew that you could report it and whether you think that you would want to do that. But even I know a lot of women, the main thing that deters a lot of women from reporting it is that they feel like nothing is going to change anyway. But I would consider thinking about it more for the benefits that it could have for you and kind of closing that loop for you and knowing that you've let them know that you weren't happy and it might kind of give you a little sense of closure just to have that out there and to to have your say you know it's really hard leaving things like this open-ended when it was completely out of your control you know you still feel like there's no resolution for you and whilst maybe nothing will change maybe that midwife will still continue to be a bitch in all of her practice and not have any cares about what she says to people that she takes care of but it might help you in your journey of healing from the whole experience as well. Yeah, definitely. And um, my psychologist, she definitely wanted me to do that. You know, she was like, I think even if you just write a letter, even if you don't end up sending it, just write a letter. Um, And 
yeah I think you're right like it probably would be a lot more about me healing than anything actually outcoming from my hospital like from my formal complaint so yeah I mean I still feel like I could do it now but yeah I think that you hit it spot on with I just didn't feel like it would make a difference for a lot of the time I just thought you know nothing's going to come from that and is it just going to bring up stuff for me? But, I mean, I still think about it now, so I should probably should just do it. it. It's really hard because I'm sure there are some care providers out there who don't know that the things that they say can have such an effect on women. And maybe maybe some of those care providers, if they were to be pulled aside and told firsthand, like, this is how your words made me feel, maybe it would um, inform how they practice from then on, you know. I mean, but... I wouldn't do it with the hopes that it would. I would do it more f- more for yourself. But we should it, – it's really shitty to be in that situation because we should have that avenue open to us where we can tell them that what they're doing is not right and then that effect change, you know. I just don't have much confidence that it would actually happen, which is really sad. Yeah, exactly, and I didn't even know that it was like an option um, until I saw my um, – I mean – the mums in my mum's group were amazing and a lot of them after hearing my birth story were like, you should complain, like 100% you should do it. Um, So I did have a few people sort of say like you should do this, you should that, but I just I honestly just didn't, just didn't, hadn't been brought to my attention until, yeah, until my psychologist was like this is the avenue that you can go down. Like if you really want to make a complaint, this is how you can do it and I can help you do it. So, yeah. Yeah, We feel like we're just at their mercy Definitely, and I, I definitely felt like that the entire way through, like from start to finish, that's what it felt like. It did, just felt like they were in charge, you know, and it should so not mm. be like that. It should be about the woman and her experience and, like, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, like a healthy baby is not, like that shouldn't be just where everyone aims for. Well, there's no point having a healthy baby if you don't have a healthy and supported mum who can take care of a healthy baby. Exactly, exactly, and, like, you know, Sullivan was really in a lot of ways super healthy and happy baby but yeah I wasn't happy and healthy. Looking back on your experience now do you obviously uh, I can assume that there would be things that you might want to do differently in regards to your care if you were to decide to have any future children but um, do you think that it has deterred you or made you think twice about going into it and doing it again at all? I'm definitely in some ways, like in some ways I kind of, I'm, I don't want to go down that path again. You know, like I'm worried that I think also now having a C-section, I'm worried that if I want to have, you know, a VBAC, I'm going to have to advocate, advocate for myself even harder because I know that women in that face so many roadblocks of people trying to get them to just have another C-section. So I think because that's what I want, um, I know that I'm going to have to be really tough, but also that kind of makes me want to do it because I want to prove that like I am in control and it's, they're all my choices and like, it's my birth and you know, like, yes, there are things that are out of my control and I don't get to determine, but there are things that I can take back and I, they're like things that I get to decide so yeah in a way yes and in a way no so I mean it's tricky and I do sort of some days I'm like I, ne- I never want to do it again and some days I'm like yeah I would like I'm, I want to do it again and I want to do it 
you know, my way. It's a never-ending battle. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So how is your postpartum period now? How, how are things with you now at the moment? Yeah, really good. I think the first year was so much harder than I expected. Um, and, yeah, I mean, from about once I started taking my medication and once Sally was about, I think maybe like five months old, things just got better and easier every day. Like I felt more capable and I enjoyed it so much more. But yeah, I mean, having now he's one, looking back on the first year, it was really, really hard. Um, and I now I just, I'm really enjoying it and I'm enjoying being back at uni and being his mum and I love it like yeah but I mean in those early days when everyone's like oh do you love it and I just thought no I don't love it I don't <laughs> I don't so <laughs> um it's such a common question I think it's so strange that people are like do you love it like yeah I love having like no sleep and like my whole life just feels like it's been flipped on its head like it's not really something yes that, yeah I love you know <laughs> yeah yeah I really resonate with that <laughs> and and you feel and you don't feel like you can be honest either like no I'm not enjoying myself and I'm having a really shitty time sure I love my baby but it's still hard yeah I'm definitely and like yeah I think I a lot of the time spoke my truth with stuff like that and I think it made people really uncomfortable out a few people be like oh wow that's very honest when they'd be like do you love it and I'd be like not as much as I thought I would um, but I just, yeah, I just continued to speak my truth through all of my postpartum period and I didn't really hide it from anyone that it was really tough and I was struggling. So I think that was also really good in a sense, cause people knew what was going on with me. Um, yeah. so yeah, I'm, and now I can look back and go like, I was really honest with myself and honest with how it was and, you know, I'm not sugarcoating it. And I've had a few people say like, thanks for not sugarcoating it because I know a lot of people do and you, you just smile and say, yeah, it's great. I love it when really yeah. it's like the hardest thing in the whole world. Before I started recording, we were talking about this a little, but that's like part of the one of the main reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to um, just share stories like this so that women in positions like, like maybe there's a, a mother who's been through a similar situation to what you did with a birth experience and is sitting there at on day three wondering, you know, what the hell's going on and if it's all her fault. And uh, story sharing is so important for people in positions like that, you know, to make them feel less alone. A hundred percent. And when you put that thing up saying, does anyone have, I just, that's, I just felt like so like I needed to share because I really struggled with that in the beginning thinking that I was just searching high and low for stories like mine and I found them occasionally and they did make me feel so much better so I think it's really really important for that stuff to be out there for people to access so that they don't feel so alone because it can feel like the loneliest time in the world yeah yeah and it can feel like the loneliest time in the world even for um, mothers who have had the perfect ideal birth you know postpartum journeys can still be really tough even when you're not battling mental issues and and birth trauma you know so to have all of that on top of that just makes it you know doubly hard yeah exactly yeah totally I totally agree with you (sighs) well thank you so much for sharing your story with me I'm so appreciative and 
I know you were afraid that it would be really long and it is, but I think it's so important to share all <laughs> of the details <laughs> and I'm a details person. So, <laughs> so am I, but yeah, I'm like so grateful for you to have me on. And I just, I think what you're doing is really amazing. It's a really good thing and it just needs to be out there for people to access. So yeah, thanks. Thanks.